you're listening to the Down East Mike Podcast, the quirky little podcast from Maine. And now, your host, Down East Mike. Dee deedle dee deedle Good morning, everybody. This is Down East Mike of the Down East Mike Podcast, coming to you live from Down East Maine. As you can see in the background there, uh, we do this, uh, well, we do it weekly, sort of, but we're not on a really good schedule. We're not like a like a newborn baby type regimen where you just sleep and eat and sleep and eat type thing. We, we do the podcast a little bit differently. It's whatever the external elements are acting on us, and, and we'll have a podcast depending on what's going on around us. Um, so today, uh, this is episode 109, News and Commentary for Friday, November 17th, 2023. We got the date right. You do see I have my hunting cap on because it is hunting season in Maine. In fact, little known fact outside is, is that it's always actually hunting season in Maine. It's always um there's always time to to do a little hunting in, in Maine. Let me let me share out my screen so we can get rolling with things today. Uh, what what do we have going on in the podcast? Oh, I disclaim, of course, some of this is whimsy, some of it's true, and the interpretation of it all is entirely up to you. Also, we asked like to ask if you knew that the Down East Mike podcast contains no mean words. Just wholesome goodness from Down East Maine. It's a historical literary auditory candy store. We ask if you heard the bells on the door when you came in. So if you made it this far, we'll keep going. Uh, in in today's episode, we have... Uh, these are actually headlines from 1977, but they play just as well as the headlines from today. Syria is coming back to, uh, or to back a visit to Israel from 1977. Iranian students are at the Maine Maritime Academy. That was in 1977. The North Wayne Tool Company, 1891. That's actually a headline you wouldn't see today. We'll look a little bit at that uh, tool company out of North Wayne, Maine. We have the illness of the instant, which we'll get to in just a second, the mollusk of the moment and more. I do question that mollusk of the moment, I'm not sure if we have that category right, but we'll still talk about something that lives pretty close to the ground. Uh, birthdays today. Happy birthday today to Henry James of Vermont. He's barely a week or so old. And although he hasn't listened to the Down East Mike podcast, I'm sure he'd approve when he gets a chance. Let's look at our illness of the instant protester's paw. Now, protester's paw is something that uh, is only going to afflict you if you're at a protest. And that is something that uh, I think they feel it primarily if they're holding a, a newly assembled sign with a square, a squared off uh, pole that they're holding it with. Now, if it was a rounded pole, they don't feel it quite so much, depending on what the protest is. But if it's a square side, the protester's paw is going to result in a 
tired hand and a clenched grip and possibly some abrasions from holding that sign too long. If you want to get a protester's paw to see what it feels like, just come to downtown Augusta, Maine, or Portland. There's always a protest going on in one form or another that you can join in on and partake and see what that illness of the instant the protester's paw actually feels like. Maybe you could even go protest the protest if you wanted. We do have a word of the day today. It's profligate, and that can be used as an adjective. Look how we put this up here on the screen. Wildly extravagant or completely given up to dis dissipation and licentiousness. Woo, that have to be his own word of the day, I think. Uh, profligate as a noun is a person given a wildly extravagant and usually grossly self-indulgent expenditure, profligate. He says, don't get overwhelmed by the history of the word when a royal record keeper reported the profligation of the knights almost five centuries ago. He didn't mean the knights were wildly indulgent in excesses. He meant they were thoroughly defeated in battle. What would it be like to be thoroughly defeated in battle? Uh, there's nothing etymologically extreme near the Latin verb profligare, which is the root of both, both profligate and the much rarer profligation meaning ruin means to strike down, to destroy, and to overwhelm. Profligate, our word of the day. Let's look at this headline here from uh, 1977, Anwar Sadat of Egypt, meeting with the Syrian president uh, Hafiz Assad on Wednesday, seeking the backing of his skeptical ally for his proposed visit to Israel. Things really haven't changed. Informed diplomatic and Syrian sources said they believe Sadat was trying to ally Assad's fears he would make private deals on the first ever visit of an Arab leader to Israel. Nice to know that even then they were still having their problems. How about the Iranian cadets at Maine Maritime Academy? This would be a big story today, wouldn't it? At the request of the naval attache at the Iranian embassy, 15 Iranian students from Maine Maritime Academy were in Washington to welcome the Shah of Iran on Tuesday, a Maine Maritime spokesman said. The Shah was in Washington to meet with President Carter and was met by a large number of Iranian supporters and by numerous demonstrators protesting the Shah's visit. And see, that would be your protesters' paw there. They had one for you. Anti-Shah and pro-Shah factions clashed in what was described as a big bloody melee by the New York Times. That was back when they were doing actual news reporting. The 15 MMA students, all seniors, are the only Iranians enrolled at the academy. They'll be graduated in April. And the students will return to the academy Thursday. Commander Robert Gramati said, how'd you like to go to school that had a commander, not a principal? You know, you'd get the strap there. Copter rescues three fishermen. That was a story out of Kennebunk Court, 1977. Three Kennebunk Court fishermen were forced to abandon ship. Always a bad moment when their 37-foot fishing boat began taking on water about 26 miles offshore. The three abandoned their sinking ship, the Julie B. 
There's no commonality in ships that sink in their names, is there? Southeast of Kennebunkport, and they climbed aboard a life raft where they were hoisted to safety by a Coast Guard helicopter at about 7.30 p.m. Doesn't that sound like it was staged? It sounded like they climbed aboard the life raft. They were hoisted. It sounds like the helicopter was already overhead. We know that probably was not the case. Merritt Wright, the spokesman, said the three who were not identified were not injured. In fact, they probably didn't even get wet. What's the point of sinking your boat if you're not going to get wet? Wright said the fishermen radioed for help about 6 p.m. saying this ship was taken on water. Hello? We're, get, we're going under here. The Coast Guard dispatched two cutters from Portland, a helicopter from Cape Cod, Nicholas Cage and that fella Tayton Channing, and a rescue ship from Portsmouth, New Hampshire. <clears throat> Excuse me. The spokesman said the Julie B was awash like this podcast, but did not go under like this podcast. A rescue boat was attempting to tow it to Portsmouth Harbor. That was not immediate. There was not immediate indication why the boat began taking on water. Do you think it was because it had a hole in it, maybe? Look at this story here in this next little slide. At one time, the old town, small town of Hancock had seven post offices. Now, today you don't get the mail that you're supposed to get from one post office, and they had seven. So you had more choices. You could go track down that missing car registration, which is probably up the road a little bit. The map above shows how the towns and coastal Hancock County's mail routes meshed with those of neighboring Penobscot, Washington, Wallabar, and Knox counties. It illustrates one of the more interesting facts about the town in a 200-page book, which is going to press December 1st. That's why books are no longer in print, because it took 200 pages in a book to tell people that one town had seven post offices. Also on this day, 1975, the Industrial Nation Chiefs and a three-day talks in France. This is sort of like what's going on there with uh, Biden, XI, Chi, whatever his name is, as ended a three-day talk in France. They promised more jobs, lower prices, and greater economic stability. Probably the only thing true about that story was this guy's name, Frank Cormier, Associated Press writer. You know that he got the truth uh, out of his people he interviewed. Of the shared goal to end the world recession, the six national leaders said, we will not allow the recovery to fail. Boom. We will not accept a new upsurge of inflation. They define their most urgent task as being the achievement of stable and durable growth, which will reestablish business and consumer confidence and cut back employment with its waste of human resources. Human resources really is a waste as far as a department, isn't it? Look at this ad. Now two Canadian channels. Channel 9 out of Sherbrooke, Quebec, Quebec CKSH-TV, Channel 9 is here. Uh, it features the Montreal Canadiens hockey. Wow. <clears throat> Excuse me. NHL, CBC French Network. Montreal Expos, National League Baseball, Canadian Football, Cinema, 
16 per week. I don't know what that means. Now Cablevision gives you six extra channels. Look at CHLT out of Sherbrooke, WSBK Boston, WLVI Boston, WABI Bangor, Channel 5 out of Lewiston, Auburn. You get all this for only $6.95. That's about what you'd pay today for the same stuff, but I think you pay extra for the Montreal Canadiens. And that was an offer in Lewiston in 1975. Good times for sure. Let's roll it back further, though. We're going to go back to 1891. We're talking about a lively runaway, which occurred in Corinth last week. Mr. George Stevens, he left a pair of young horses standing before W.R. Clark's Mill, and they were attached to a cart. We got two horses attached to a cart. They took fright, and they ran about a mile when they were stopped. One of them was badly cut on the foot, but otherwise little damage was done. Also on this day, 1891, Mrs. Annie C. Worth has rented rooms over Beals and McKinney's store where she will live. Now, we would have to wonder... What was that all about? Well, you know, first of all, her just misses any worth. And why did we think it, it was of noteworthy that we needed to uh, mention that she's renting rooms over Beals and McKinney's store unless there's trouble at home? And that's probably what's going on. But that was November 17th, 1891. So we may never know what really went on there. Farmers at Rumford are to receive three cents for 26 ounces of sweet corn under the new contract for the coming year. Here's another story. It's understood that a syndicate contemplates the purchase of the Lawson Hotel at South Harpswell, always a good investment, real estate in Harpswell. The hotel is situated on high land, commanding an excellent view of Casco Bay, and with right management, might be made one of the more attractive resorts on the main coast, you could put a tent on the coast in Harpswell, and that would be an attractive resort. Let's not fool ourselves. Mr. George Shea of Bowden, class of 93, is to teach the school in district number 18 this winter. That was back when you'd teach school when you were 19. You retire at 25. Out of Wayne, Maine, the demand for hay, corn, and band knives manufactured by the North Wayne Tool Company has reached that point that it has become necessary for them to increase their capacity for the manufacture of the same. What a long way to say they need to build more tools. They are now erecting on the dam north of the road leading through the village a building which is 40 by 60, 24 feet posted, to be used exclusively for the manufacture of the sheet steel goods. The foundation is already completed. The lumber's on the spot for the building that's expected to have the factory running the 1st of January next. Mr. Osgood Graves has had charge of the stonework. Mr. Smith of Fairfield has charge of erecting the building. Boy, I hope those guys never came to blows. The lumber is furnished by T.M. Weston of Kent's Hill, who has sawed and delivered the same in seven days from the time the schedule is handed. Here's your schedule, and I'm going to saw and deliver that in the same in seven days. Well, C.H. Fouts will have charge of the factory when ready for business. Mr. Fauci has been in the employee of the tool company for years, and his experience in that direction makes him a valuable man. Don't let it go to your head, Mr. Fouch. The water's very low, 
And at present, they're working on one half time, about the way I work all the time. They have recently put in an engine to help them out, maybe to pump water. And then we found a little snippet of these tools. If you're watching here on the screen, these are beautiful tools. They really are. North Wayne Tool Company is a shame. We lost all this manufacturing here on the home home front. The company's origins trace back to the 1830s when the North Wayne Side Company was founded in North Wayne, Maine, according to the 1867 Annual Report of Maine's Board of Agriculture, Mr. R.B. Dunn began to manufacture size in North Wayne in 1840. And then he purchased the, the Scythe Works and renamed the company the Dunn Edge Tool Company. The report also indicates that the North Wayne Tool Company was in existence at the same time these two companies were merged. They employed 75 workers and they were producing 144,000 size, 72,000 hay knives and 60,000 axes per year. I bet you could find any of those tools and they are still serviceable instruments, except for probably the, the handles on them. Uh, during the 1880s, the company was headed by former, former governor Joseph Bodwell and his, then his son Joseph Bodwell, Joseph F. Yeah. The main tools produced by the company were axes, corn hooks, knives, and size with brand names such as Little Giant, Western Dutchman and a Rustic. Known for producing tools of superior quality, the company was one of several edge tool companies located in the area. There was also one up in Bangor that went out of business, I think American Tool Company. That's a shame we lost all that. Uh, let's look at uh, next story here. Mr. Charles Peavy, who died at Bangor on Saturday night, he was a senior partner of the firm C.A.N.J.H. Peavy, better known as the Bangor Edge Tool Company. The originators and manufacturers of the famous PV Cant dog, which is used by lumbermen all over the United States. Have you ever seen a PV? They got like a funny hook and down the bottom, like a jaw, and you put it on the log and it hooks in. You can turn the log way. If you're big enough, you can move the log that way. At the age of 17, he enlisted in the Union Army and was in the battles of Spotsvania, didn't know that existed, Cold Harbor, Bowling Green, and the charge at Petersburg, and he suffered eight months in prison, imprisonment at Andersonville. Uh, another story here, a man who gave the name of W.G. Davis of Lynn, Mass., has been locked up at Bangor, good place for him. He sold a Mrs. Conklin on the Mayo Street some pictures, and she accused him of driving her from the house. He says that he did not go there, that she drugged him with liquor. And when he came to her, accused her of taking his watch and money, and she denying it, he beat her and turned her out of the house. Doesn't that sound like something to be on TMZ today? It's just like real life, just like today. How about out of St. Albans, H.C. Buker and W.A. Bigelow of St. Albans? They've been buying apples at a dollar a barrel and sending them to Boston. They hit a low, slow market. The boys have had a fine time catching suckers, chubs, and pickerel in the stream. The water's so low, they're in pools. Large lots are being caught. The fish would jump out of the water onto dry land if they're frightened a little bit. You know that. Uh, Southerd and Watson have bought the shingle mill, and I.O. Winslow will put in machinery to see uh, chair stuff, etc., for the Boston market and furnish them with all the hardwood lumber they can saw. This is the start toward 
a chair factory in the near future. What else do we have here for stories for you? We did the one about the fish. Um, there was a fight. Yeah, there was a fight in Spencerville Sunday night in which there was some knocking down, but no one was killed or much hurt. Just in other words, just kind of a good little scuffle. Also a fight in District Number 7 in which men, women, and children were engaged. So they're getting a, a little bit more escalated there. Black eyes and bruised heads were the consequence. And then the trouble commenced in school. The teacher punished the pupil. The child's mother took up the matter. The teacher ordered her to leave the room. And then a neighbor took part in the quarrel. So good old-fashioned fisticuffs in 1891 on this day. Uh, we can skip the story about the heron, I think. It's about how they were freezing it. But you, you could look that up. I thought this one was interesting. This is 1891, right? Seth Shope, whose logging camp is on the Township 34 in Washington County, reports that the howl of the wolf was heard in that section one night last week. It has been many years since the yelp of the varmints disturbed the stillness of the forest of the Machias River. Now, we'd have to believe those actually were wolves and because an eastern coyote was not yet in Maine in 1891. Isn't that something, a wolf out there howling? Pembroke, and I'd like to go up and look for this. Pembroke has lately indulged in some sidewalks made of Australian gravel. The gravel was brought from its native shores to New York and thence to Pembroke as ballast and later dumped in that town, where the boys have sifted it over many times in their search for eye stones of which many were found. Here will be a chance for the archaeologists of the future to puzzle their brains over the resemblance between the soils of Melbourne and Pembroke. Uh, the telephone was to be extended from Waterville to North Vassalboro, a distance of about four miles. And I bet you can't drive from Waterville to North Vassalboro today and make a cell phone call that's consistent. N.H. Sawtell has built him a new barn at Strickland's Ferry. Good for him. And a supposed party of tramps located themselves in the Bishop Barn cellar last week, and a party of citizens went down and routed them out. That sounds like Israel, too. Okay, it's time to get to our barnacle, our mollusk of the moment here, which is a barnacle, it's a crustacean, the barnacle. Now, we... I guess you could all have a relationship with a barnacle. If you're along the main coast and if you're walking barefoot on the rocks or if you stop to sit on a rock that's down at the water's edge, you might get scraped up by a barnacle or perhaps you're petting your pet whale there out on, the, on a whale cruise and they have barnacles all over them too. Barnacle, any of more than 1,000 predominantly marine crustaceans of the subclass Cirripedia, highly modified for sedentary life. That's like me. There are about 850 free-living species, all marine, and about 260 species that are internal parasites of crabs and other crustaceans. So you see the barnacle on the outside, but you don't see the barnacle on the inside. And then it says, a brief treatment of Cirripedes follows. For full treatment, see Cirripedes. As adults, 
Typical barnacles are covered with calcareous plates and are cemented head down to rocks, pylons, ships, hulls, driftwood, or seaweed, or to the bodies of larger sea creatures from clams to whales. They trap tiny particles of food by means of cirri, feathery, retractile organs formed by metamorphosis of certain of their swimming legs. They have swimming legs, these little barnacles. Hermaphrodite uh, forms sometimes have a minute, virtually formless, complemental male, my marriage, attached to them. And a few species with separate sexes, a similar male is attached to a much larger, for, fully formed female. Cross-fertilization is usual, but self-fertilization does occur. Yes. Okay, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting off track here. Typical barnacles have six pairs of cirri and more or less complete shells. Burrowing barnacles, about 30 species. This is just overwhelming. They're small unisexual forms that lack shells and have fewer than six pairs of cirri. They burrow into hard, limey materials such as clamshells and coral. And parasitic cirripedes of the order Rhizocelophyta, about 230 species. Uh, they lack appendages, shells, and gut and resemble fungi. It's just overwhelming. I, th I thought I was just going to do a story on a simple barnacle. But anyway, barnacles are barnacle. That is our podcast. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to go to the, the weather forecast here. What do we have uh, for today? It is, yeah, uh, patchy fog before 7 a.m. Sorry for the pause there. That's, that's awful. That's hardly professional. Otherwise, partly sunny with a high near 58. Oh, it's going to be a hot day. South wind 5 to 10 miles per hour. The gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. Uh, for tonight, chance of showers before 1 a.m. And then uh, mainly, mainly after 1 a.m. Then patchy fog. Uh, for Saturday, rain mainly before noon. With patchy fog before 8 a.m. And a high near 50. North wind 5 to 15, but the uh, the trick is with Saturday that it can get progressively colder throughout the day. And then Saturday night's around 29, and Sunday mostly sunny with a high near 43. All right. That is our podcast for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed some of it. And until next time, this is... Down East Mike, wishing you and your loved ones a day that is full of grace, love, and kindness. We'll see you. Don't feel sorry for me. Some say I'm sick because I've got fish on my brain.